You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Grab your Bible and join me in Matthew's Gospel. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. As we are wrapping up uh, our We Are the Church series, um, just kind of introducing new folks to um, who we are as a church and uh, reminding us as um, longtime Galenaites um, who we are as well. We boil down the vision of the church to four words come, share, grow, and go. And we are. Uh, as indicated here, the uh, the on that final part of that of going, the come is saying that we are invitational. We want to be both invitational as a church, as people, but we also want to be invitational because the gospel is invitational, and inviting people to see and savor Jesus as their greatest treasure. We took a look uh, at what it means for us to share and the nature of we are generous, um, both in time, talents, and treasure. Uh, What does it mean for us to be generous with our presence um, as we are in people's lives? Um, That we are not uh, a a holy huddle of Christians, but we are intended to be um, people that are uh, sharing life and sharing uh, the truth of the gospel and and our experience uh, and those kind of things. Uh, We are also, as we looked at last week uh, in the grow we are maturing and that the nature of a, a church the desire of a church is not that it would just be but that it would be growing in its uh, in its nature and today uh, as we take a look at go uh, we're going to be looking at what it means for us to be incarnational um, that's a word that is oftentimes used in describing uh, the first coming of Jesus. It was called the Incarnation uh, when Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh on our behalf. Uh, and that Jesus, as He was from eternity past, uh, became Christ the Son in the flesh, that He took on flesh uh, and was uh, 100% God and 100% man. Uh, And the Scriptures tell us something interesting when it comes to the nature of the Incarnation. Uh, In John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 1, we have that famous, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, And then right in the middle of that, there's a a line that says uh, uh, that uh, no one has seen God at any time. That phrase. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of God, He has revealed Him. So nobody's seen God, but Jesus came to this earth, and if we ask the question, what is God like? Is God loving? We look to Jesus and we have our answer. Is God just? And we look to Jesus and we have our answer. Is God merciful? And we look to Jesus and we have our answer. It's a pretty profound statement. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of of God has revealed Him. Then in 1 John chapter 4, same author as the Gospel of John, he uses that phrase the same way. He says, no one has seen God at any time. And if you're following along with that, you go, oh, I know where he's going. He's going to say, again, here's, here's the incarnation of Jesus, right? This is what God is like and everything else. But in 1 John chapter 4, he says, no one has seen a God at any time, but if we love one another, His love is made perfect in us. 
And you go, whoa, wait a second. That's a pretty big switch. Because when he, in the John's Gospel, he said, you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus and you'll see what God's like. But do you see what he does in, in 1 John chapter 4? What is God like? Look to his people. That's a big thing right there. The incarnation, as it existed in Jesus, was the pivotal point for us in humanity. So much so that it's what we mark time with in our culture, right? Even though we've changed it now, it was uh, uh, BC and AD. Now we're we're doing uh, uh, BC or. BCE and CE, before the Common Era and the Common Era. But here's the funny thing about that. It still hinges on that whole zero. And we ask, what was it that happened in this arbitrary zero that mattered so much? And it was the incarnation of God into the world. It was the pivotal point of human history that changed everything. And it's why we are invitational. It's why we are generous. It's why we are maturing. And it's why Jesus is telling us that we are to be incarnational into the world because He was sent by the Father into this world to do on our behalf what we could not do. Jesus didn't just come to be a moral example to us. He came to be God in the flesh in a way that we could not do. If Jesus came as a plan B, in case you can't figure it out, you got Jesus, then Jesus came for nothing. Because Jesus came not as plan B, but as the only Plan A. This is why we call it good news or gospel. Because apart from that, we have no good news. I don't know about you, but I know how my heart works. And if it's up to me, I'm in trouble. So this pivotal moment in human history, the incarnation, is what shifted the trajectory of our lives. You probably can look back on your own life and you can see those pivotal moments, those moments in your own story when you're saying, how did you get to where you are today? What was the event? Some of those events were very small, right? Some of those might have been a casual conversation with somebody and they said, hey, maybe you ought to pursue X or Y as a career field. And it was just a passing comment, but that was what got your mind going and all of a sudden you're in that, you're moving in that trajectory like, yeah, maybe I want to be a counselor or maybe I want to be a teacher. Maybe I want to be in farming. Maybe I want to be a welder. Maybe they have, all because of those little things. But sometimes, or oftentimes, at least in my life, it's these moments that were kind of pivotal. These, these big event moments that when I, uh, when I encountered them, they shifted the trajectory of my life and changed who I was and what I was about. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, I can go, when did these things happen? For me, it was two fairly, or, uh, not fairly, very traumatic events uh, that set many of the trajectories of, of my life. One of those was when I was 11 years old, I was at a, in a, uh, a snowball fight at church. It's, there's two things uh, that I, I have to fight as, a, as an adult guy uh, of going like, these are things that everybody else considers fun. They are highly traumatic for me. And so I have a hard time allowing other people to engage in those things. One of those is snowball fights. And the other one is riding in the bed of a truck. 
Uh, both things that in Galena, Alaska are very, very normal things, right? It's just that my experience with a snowball was I had somebody that put a chunk of ice in one, lobbed it at my head, and crushed my eye socket on my left side, and I had to have reconstruction that holds my left eye out of my sinuses uh, as a result of that. But God used that event to literally pull me and my family out of a toxic environment where I would have, had I, I believe, and I stayed in that environment, I would have grown up like all of the other dudes that were in my sphere, to not love Jesus and not give a rip about His church and not give a rip about His mission and not give a rip about anything else. So this event that changed the trajectory of my life in a physical way, I went, well, what, you know, what's the big deal about that? The other one was an event that was uh, exactly 25 years ago, three Sundays ago, uh, and it was an event where the reason I have a problem with people riding out of the bed of the truck is uh, uh, on a Thursday afternoon on my junior or my sophomore year in high school, uh, I held a young man as he died because he fell out of the bed of a truck, smacked his head on the concrete, and I was the last person that he saw this side of glory. And as a result of that, it was one of those where I've done, I'd done first aid kind of stuff, and I responded to the, uh, many other, for whatever reason, the Lord's had me the first responder on car accidents and all kinds of stuff. This was the only one where there was nothing that I could do. Nothing. I couldn't, cha- I couldn't change anything that was transpiring with it. And this young man uh, went to meet, meet his maker, and there was nothing I could do about it. And it set in my heart a trajectory where I began to question my motives, my direction, my purpose, everything about my life. Because one, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know where he was going. I knew firmly as a conviction uh, that heaven is real, hell is real, and the, that not everybody goes to one of those places. And the reality of those things began to shift and shake in my heart. And God used that to give me a gospel call and to call me into ministry that led me uh, in, a, in a progression of way to where I am today. Those pivotal kind of moments shape us and change us and they create in something, they create something in us that doesn't go away. Those kind of moments are the things that do shape who we are. We took a look last week at the nature of experiences and as we talked about maturing in those kind of things, we said that situations, good and bad, but specifically the bad, do one of two things. They never do nothing to us. They either make us bitter or better. They either grow us in maturity or they cause us uh, to be hard-hearted or jaded to the world. And so my prayer has always been, as God has grown me in maturity, that uh, the challenges and experiences that I have would be those maturing in me that would soften my heart towards the world rather than making me be more jaded. Oftentimes when people pray or ask, how how can we pray for you? One of the things I've been asking recently uh, is that they would pray specifically uh, that uh, I did not... Um, uh, have compassion fatigue. Just the, the hardness of caring. Because there's so many heartaches. There's so many stories. And many of those stories, and this is the hard part, are preventable. And to look at it and go, well, this is a consequence of a bad decision. Why should I be emotionally engaged in your bad decision? But that's not a great response, is it? Aren't we thankful that when God gives us graciousness, He doesn't go like, well, that was a stupid decision, Chris. And when you figure that out, I'll give you some grace. I'll give you some mercy. I'll give you some compassion. Thanks be to God that that's not the way that our Father works. 
And so all of those things create something in us as Christians. And as they create something, even from the very first experience of coming to know the Gospel and realizing, I'm a sinner. That's a humbling experience. Or at least it should be. There's a lot of people that are professing Christians that I'm going like, where is your humility? You, you act like God did you a, you know, uh, you did God a favor by coming to Him. Rather than coming as a beggar before the King of the universe and saying, I got nothing, and He gives you everything. That should produce in us some kind of an incredible humility. And from that point forward, God creates something in us. And what we call that in scriptural terms is sanctification. It is God taking in us and molding and shaping through that maturing process the image of His Son in us. Incarnating Jesus through us into this world. Changing our behavior. Conforming us, as Paul says in his Gospels, conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus. Shaping and fashioning us according to the truth that He has. Now, He doesn't do that just out of a sense of going like, well, wouldn't it be cool if I got a bunch of people that look like Jesus? Because He can do that a lot quicker. And here's how He does that. The moment you say yes to Jesus, God just goes, boom, and you're gone. That'd be a whole lot quicker, right? It'd be in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the the transformation of the Gospel, we would be like Him, knowing everything. The veil would be lifted, and we would be miraculously like Jesus. So why does God leave us in this world? as Christians, rather than just saying, good, you're done, you you crossed the finish line, you've accepted Jesus, and now, welcome home. He leaves us because as Jesus was incarnational, He calls us to be likewise. One of the last things that Jesus said on this earth, actually, uh, according to Matthew, this is the last words of Jesus on this planet And he says this in Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all all things I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Word of the Lord. This morning, really quickly, as we take a look at the incarnational of Jesus' command to go, because the only imperative that He gives in this final statement is one imperative command. Go. As you go, in your going, in the way in which you live, as you move out into this world to go, He gives us four alls. Four alls. And we want to take a look at those and how those impact our ability to be incarnational, to be Jesus in this world. The first one is this. Jesus says, came up and He spoke to them, and He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. 
Now this is one of those Bible verses that I, I, I was taught as a kid to memorize very early on. It gets spoken in every missions conference. It's on all kinds of t-shirts and all those kind of things. And just that, really the, the all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That wasn't the point that was emphasized. The point that was emphasized was the go. Go. That was, the, that was the part. That's the imperative. That's what's there. But the only reason we have any authority to go is because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. It was a number of years ago um, that I was uh, doing a leadership study on the nature of eldership. Uh, and they were looking at how does, the, how does Scripture define that and church leadership and the functionality of it as it is different from world's perspective of leadership. We very oftentimes in the world, uh, where there's a pyramid kind of scheme, right? You got the CEO and then they're, the, they're you know, vice presidents of this and that and the other thing. And then people under them and the people under them and the people under them. In the school system, you got the superintendent, the assistant superintendents, and then the administrators, and the, right, and all the way. And it's it's this system of structure that's placed there, and we're very familiar with that. And then there's this movement in society now that's uh, kind of a pancake idea of that, where we we don't want to have the pyramid. We want everybody to be you know equal and peers, and we're we're all working together in this thing, and, and uh, not really necessarily a clear delineation of leadership and all of those kind of things. And they they made a point about the Godhead, about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that was pretty profound. And it said, you know, the mystery of the Trinity is that uh, it is one God, three persons. Right? One of the most confusing concepts that we can think of. We were actually talking about this not too long ago, right? How do you, how do you define that to a, a young child? How do you perceive that to them? And the Trinity functions like this. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. And the Son is God. And the Spirit is God. There's a tension, three in one, that if we lose that tension off of that, we get jettisoned off into literal heresy, like classical forms of heresy. But the point that they made in this was they said that the role and responsibility of the Father and the role and the responsibility of the Son, the role and the responsibility of the, uh, of the Spirit were distinct from each other. That what the Son does, the Father doesn't do. That's why Jesus said, I can only do what my Father tells me to do. That's what Jesus said. And again, we always think, you know, that's, that's the Father and the Son, the way it works. In my household, I'm the Father. I've got sons. If I tell them, go clean your room, there's not a debate about the reality of that. I'm the Father. They're the Son. They're supposed to go clean their room. Now, they may hem and haw about it and that kind of stuff, but the reality of it is, still is. I'm the Father. They're the Son. That's the way it works. And we think of that in terms of the, of the Heavenly Father and the Son doing what is the will of His Father is. But I want you to listen to this because here's, the, here's what blew me away. When Jesus says that, that's a statement of submission, right? And we don't like the concept. We don't like the word. In our present day culture, we don't like the concept of submission. Submit to those that are in authority over you. Ugh. Sounds, I don't know, but I'm not sure about that. But every time Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own accord, but of only that which the Father tells me to do, the Son was submitting to the Father. When we look in Gethsemane, and Jesus cries out, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, 
Your will be done. What is that? That's submission. Now I want you to see something. Some authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. No. What do you say? All. All authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying at this point in time, the Father is submitting to the Son according to His divine purposes in this world. That's no small thing. And He follows that up with, go therefore and make disciples. When we ask the question, do I have the right to be a Christian in this world? To be incarnational of the character and nature of Jesus? Do I have the right to share the hope of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in a culture and context, in a work environment, in things that say, no, you can't do this? (coughs) Jesus would look at you and say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All of it. Now the world may try to wrestle back that authority. In fact, that's what got us into this problem in the first place. Satan says to Eve, for the Father, for the uh, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. And in a way, defining what you think good and evil is. We've wrestled back from God His authority. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So when we think about what it means to be incarnational, we're not going on our own power. Our job is not to manifest Chris Cop into this world. Please don't do that. The world's got enough Chris Cops. One's enough. Our job under the authority of Jesus, is to manifest Jesus into this world. And I can promise you this, there's not enough Jesus in this world. There's not enough Jesus in this world. That was one of the things that hit me attending the potlatch, was the, the grief and sorrow. And though there was a lot of uh, good talk, I did hear a lot of hopelessness. Because there was a certainty that more's coming. I say it was one of the sadder, sadder potlatches I've attended, I think, because it was young people. And there's, there's this innate sense in us that goes, this ought not be. Right? Parents ought never to bury their child. That ought not be in this world. And yet it is so much. And the government has their answers for that, and the education system has their answers for that, and the healthcare system has their answers for that. But here's the thing there's not enough Jesus in this world. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and He's manifested in us His character, His, uh, His heart, His very life in us to be manifest into this world, to be incarnated into this world. And so, as we live every single day, we are under the authority of Jesus to be Jesus in this world. To proclaim the hope that Jesus, only Jesus, gives. That's the first all. All authority in heaven and earth. The second all that he says is Jesus came and He spoke all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. The word that he uses there is the Greek word ethnos. It's literally ethnicity. 
When Jesus describes nations, when the Scriptures actually define nations, they're not talking about borders. That little map over there is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus doesn't care about those borders because it's all kind of mixed up in the reality of it. What Jesus is saying is every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every image bearer of God equally before the throne of God needs to know the authority of Jesus in their lives. The incredible nature of what it is that Jesus has accomplished on this earth. Lots of speculation has happened over the years around when the coming of Christ is uh, is happening. There's people that have published books and have made per, you know, pre- uh, precision details that he's going to come on this Thursday at 12.45. Everybody sells their possession and stands around and stares at the sky and the time comes and goes and they're like, oh, I had a math problem and they change it, right? And, and there's all these things that have happened over the years of people trying to predict when it is. And the reality of it is, Jesus said uh, that the Son doesn't even know when He's coming back, but only the Father knows the day nor the hour. But here's the thing that I want us to think about on this. Jesus didn't say that He wouldn't give us clues when the reality of that was going to happen. In fact, Jesus said, when He was telling the end times things, uh, the disciples say, when will these things happen? And this is exactly what Jesus said. The Gospel will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. The Gospel will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. Jesus cares desperately about all nations, all peoples. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in the, in the book of Revelation when we get this, like the first worship service pictured for us for fewer, uh, forward thinking. And he says, uh, John says he saw in a, in a vision, uh, he said, I saw a multitude that no one could count. And on those days that I as a pastor am looking at our mission and our ministry and going like, God, we're not, we're not making headway. And he gives me that picture where he says, don't worry, I'm at work. You be faithful. There's coming a day where there will be a crowd gathered around the throne that no one could count. And then he says, from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And all of them together are worshiping the Lamb who sits on the throne. Jesus cares about the nations. And here's what He cares about them. And this is the thing I think, again, is another point of this incarnation for us personally that we miss. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice He didn't say, go and make converts. Go and make church members. Or even other descriptors. Go and make Christians. Go and make believers. Those kind of things. Christian is a good term. It's used three times in the New Testament. It was actually uh, originally a derogatory term. In Greek it meant the little Christs. Oh, look at all the little Christs as they're following Jesus, right? And all the early Christians were like, yeah, I'll take that. I'm cool with that. I'll be a little Christ. But it's used three times in the New Testament. Believer, that's used a little bit more. It's used 27 times in the New Testament. The believers uh, describing those that were believers in Jesus Christ or believers in His message or that kind of thing. We use that term very often. But the Greek word methetes, translated disciple, 
It's used 261 times in the New Testament. I think the FBI might call that a clue. Uh, It means a learning apprentice. It is thought accompanied by endeavor. See, Christianity is not about those who know the most information. It's about those who have been transformed by the information that they have learned. A master teacher who has an apprentice doesn't just want them to know the information. They want them to be able to do with the information that they have learned what it is that they're supposed to do, right? What good is it to know that there are elders among us that know uh, traditional crafts if that is not transferred to younger generations who then do it themselves? Traditional knowledge buried in a book. Not much help to a culture, is it? And yet, we oftentimes treat Christianity that way. That the goal is to just tell people that Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? And the information is believed. And maybe more Bible study and more Bible information is assumed and imparted in. But the question of, have you become a convert to Christianity or a disciple of Jesus? And the ultimate goal of Christianity is that amongst every peoples of the world, disciples, those who are learning what it means to look like Jesus and then emulating that into their lives amongst all nations. We want to be a church that is incarnating the Gospel to all peoples that God brings to us. That week after week after week, the ethnic makeup of our church mirrors the place in which we live. That's our heart and our cry to God. All authority. All nations. And then all allegiance. That's what we'll call this third one. He says, uh, as you've done this, you are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. When we do baptism, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, literally saying, by the authority of the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all that God has planned, in all that Jesus has accomplished, and the miracle that the Holy Spirit has wrought in your heart, we baptize you in that authority into this body of Christ, raised to walk with newness of life. And that transformation that takes place is accompanied by learning what Jesus said and doing it. Or as, the, uh, as James taught us in the book of James, that faith without works is dead. Faith is not produced by works. We don't get saved because we were good enough or because we tried hard enough. But as an evidence of the transformation of Jesus Christ in our life, we learn and obey what it is that Jesus teaches us in this world. See, it's not about you, how much you know, it's how much you obey of what you know. If you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years and you know all kind of information... I mean, if you're, you know, if you're playing Bible trivia and you're like, I'm going to win this joker, and yet you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, your Christian maturity is very, very small. 
And yet for many people, we judge them according to how smart they are, how much of an air of religiousness they can put on. Whereas really what Jesus looks at is this nature of the heart. If what you have learned, does it uh, conform to you or do you conform to Jesus? If we ask the question, as you look to the Jesus that you believe in, if He more affirms what you already believed rather than pressing into and calling you away from things that you uh, yourself think that you believe, the Jesus that you're believing in looks more like a mirror than the Jesus of Scripture. Teach them to obey all things I've commanded. It's not a popular thing in our present day world to preach holiness. To say that to be a Christian means we are called to live a holy life. Now holiness is not legalism. Okay? Don't don't mistake that. The Pharisees of Jesus' day thought they were living holy lives. Jesus said, no, you're following legalism. Your God is these laws. Holiness is a response to the character and nature of Jesus that says, God, you've said this is true. You don't want me to be envious. You don't want me to be jealous. You don't want me to be lustful. You don't want me to be greedy. You don't want me to be unforgiving. Those are truths about me. And as you've revealed those things to me, I want to love you more. So therefore, I step into those things and I want to obey them. Holy Spirit, help me to obey them. Rather than, yes, look how great I am. I don't lie. In fact, I'm pretty stinking humble. Right? It's the old adage that I use, right? If, if I go on a trip and I come home uh, and I've been gone for four, five, six days and I haven't seen Shell in this time and I do the effort of bringing flowers from town, which is kind of a hard thing and the whole travel, you know, keeping the petals nice and all that kind of stuff. And I show back up there and I hand Shell the flowers and I go, here, I got these flowers for you. And she goes, oh, you didn't have to do that. And my answer is, of course I did. It's my duty. She's probably not going to be real impressed with my flowers, is she? Right? Oh, you got these because you had to, huh? Is that what this was about? That you thought you had to impress me in that? Rather than the fact of, you know what? I have missed you so much. And I saw these and I thought Shell needed these. Right? Shell's actually not usually impressed with flowers. It's dark chocolate. Is actually the, That's the magic one for that. Right, I go do the you know run through the little shopping list, and then you go down the candy aisle, and you get Twizzlers for the kids, dark chocolate for Shell. Everybody's happy. Why? Because I love my family, right? And as I look to Jesus, I don't want to go. Well, I'm going to do the things because I have to. Or worse yet, I'm going to do the things because everybody else is looking at me, and I want them to know that I do the things. I've been baptized under the authority of Jesus Christ because of His death, His, His life substituted for me. I didn't deserve that. And in, in that gift, in that generous love that He gave to me, my response is nothing but tell me more about your character and how I can emulate it. I want, I want to be more like you. 
The more I see you, the more I see the brokenness that sin has wrought in my heart. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more and more I realize just how far the rot of sin went in my soul. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more and more His mercy meets every sin. I've yet to exhaust the depths of the riches of His mercy towards me. I haven't, I haven't found the bottom yet. And I've read the Scripture and I've found out I'm not going to. His grace is enough for me. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. All allegiance. So all authority, all nations, all allegiance. And here's the last aspect of the incarnation. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the thing about being a follower of Jesus and incarnating Jesus into the world. It's not up to you to just figure out how to do it yourself. Jesus is with you. The Christian life is not just about us trying to apply knowledge and information into our lives on our own. Jesus says, I am with you always. His Spirit is in us as a Christian. He walks with it. It is a down payment, a deposit of what eternity is going to look like. That the Holy Spirit walks with us in conviction, showing us, leading us, guiding us. And as we are sent into this world, we are sent not by ourselves, and not even just as a group of ourselves, but the Holy Spirit goes with us into this world, and Jesus Himself is present in our lives to empower us by His authority to do all that He asks for us to do. Now there's two ways that this plays out for us as Galena Bible Church. We incarnate Christ as we live and reside in Galena. You'll go home this afternoon, and if you're married, like it or not, you're going to be Jesus to your spouse. A good example or not. When you go to work tomorrow, friend, and you're working with that coworker that just gets under your skin just a little bit, you're going to be incarnating Jesus in that place. We as the church are called to be Jesus in this place, to be His voice, to be His hands, to be His feet, to be His message, to be His truth, to be His example, and to be His heralds of the good news that changed our life. So this, the first way that this plays out for us as we go, is the uh, one way you can translate that imperative is the as you go or in your going. It's a normalcy of life. In your washing of dishes, in your filing of paperwork, in your uh, uh, splitting of firewood, in your moose hunting, in your mechanicking, and whatever it is that you're doing, you are incarnating Christ in this world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all things Christ has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are living that kind of way. But here's the second aspect of this, and it's, it, if I'm honest, it's the less fun aspect of being the pastor of Galena Bible Church, is that the going nature of this command is that I don't get to keep everybody here. This January will be 12 years for us in Galena Bible Church. If everybody that has attended and been an active part, either member or regular attender of Galena Bible Church in those 12 years was still in here, I estimated at one time we'd be over 300 people in attendance. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. 
And the reality of it is, God has sent those people from here, many of whom I'm still in contact with, and many of whom have talked and said, God used my experience at Galena Bible Church to change the way that I thought about church, to change the way that I thought about ministry. To change. We've had people that have left Galena Bible Church and gone into full-time ministry uh, to, to serve in both uh, things like uh, Kayak, Covenant Youth of Alaska, serving with college students in uh, Anchorage. Uh, we've got uh, Tisha Van Deest and our formerly Tisha Van Deest, Tisha, Tisha Dalton now, uh, who her and her husband are now downriver in the village of Grayling, serving as pastor church planters uh, that are down there. Uh, we've got the Casey's that are now downriver in New Lotto from us, the Foxes that are up in Alakakit serving there. These are people that came from our body, were sent out into this, uh, the context of our environment because they took this passage of Scripture and they said, Jesus said to go, I must go. And to have that tuning into the Spirit of going, listen, if God has you leave Galena, here is my guarantee of this. He may not call you into vocational ministry, but He is absolutely calling you into His ministry wherever it is that God calls you to be. That God may call you to a place where there's a a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing church that you integrate into and you pour your heart and life into to serve that body of believers and grow them in maturity. To be invitational, to be generous, and to be maturing in that context where you're at. But if God calls you to a place where there is no gospel-believing church, where there is no uh, church that is standing on the truths of Scripture, where there is no regular gathering of the body of Christ, then God is calling you to that place that you would start one. Do you know that God's will for your life is not... we, We don't have to guess it. I know God's will for your life. God's will for your life is that you would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all things that He's commanded you. But what does God say is not in question. The the question is where, to whom, and doing what? Where am I to be going under the authority of Jesus making disciples? To whom am I to be doing that? And what am I to be doing in that place? We as a church are called to go and be incarnational in the way in which we make disciples in this world. Because listen, somebody cared enough to do that for us. Somebody cared enough to have a Bible study to invite us to, to have a church in the place where we could grow in maturity in that kind of place. Somebody cared enough to have a track or invite us to a, 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 a coffee conversation where the gospel could be. Somebody cared enough to tell us of the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's what it means for us to be incarnational in this world. When Jesus walked on this earth, they could look at Him and say, what is God like? And they could see Him. And answer the questions. And whether we like it or not, as Paul said, we are God's ambassadors as though God making His appeal through us. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Jesus came in the flesh so that we could hear this good news. And God left us in the flesh so that others could hear it as well. Go. In your going, be Jesus in this world, giving hope 
giving life, giving patience, giving truth, whether it's here or if God calls you elsewhere, we as Galena Bible Church want to be a church that is sending in the going as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the power of it. We're thankful that You use Your Word to shape and form and fashion us. And this familiar passage of Scripture, one that I've preached over a dozen times, is still so fresh and real. And so God, we pray that You would help us. Holy Spirit, right now, convict our hearts that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Shape and fashion us into Your likeness, Jesus. Help us to not misrepresent Your character in this world. Help us to love the things that You love. Help us to hate the things that You hate. Help us to be compassionate and careful as we tell of this good news that changed our hearts. We love You so much, God. It's Your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.